What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. And then it all changed magically when I brought my Kindle, which is the most amazing magical device in my life. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 45. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest is Ana Salazar. Ana is a Colombian who's now living in Peru, and she's been, as she says, absolutely obsessed with reading for her whole life, so much so that her parents had to physically drag her away from bookstores when she was growing up. I hope a lot of you can relate to that. Here's my conversation with Ana. Ana, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm so, so happy to be here. I'm a big, big fan of the show. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it, and I'm delighted to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. Anna, I believe you are our first guest south of the equator. You're Ooh, in... that's a privilege. Now, where are you living now? So I am originally from Colombia, but I currently live in Lima, Peru, with my husband and our two cats. <laughs> we wouldn't want to leave them out. Of course uh, not. <laughs> you know, many, I'm allergic myself. Please don't hate me, listeners. But I love how they are such an important accessory to the reading life to so many of us. They are. There's actually a beautiful bookstore here in Lima that has like three pet cats. And it's the most wonderful place where you just go there and sit and read and the cats will come and sit in your lap. It's amazing. That sounds like heaven. I mean, even to me, because I could do it for an hour before I'd start sneezing. That sounds amazing. I would like uh, to. Are you a regular so, there? Yes, I am. So if you're ever in Lima, I'll have to take you there. I've never, I've never been. How long have you been living in Peru? Uh, we've been here for four years now. Okay. And how is it there? It is it's very interesting. It's, it's very different. Uh, many people don't know that Lima is actually a desert. It's actually, I think, the second largest desert city in the world next to Cairo. So it never rains here, which is very, very, very strange. No, I, I, I did not know that. That was not how it, what I was picturing in my head. 
<laughs> it wasn't what I was picturing when I came here either. So. <laughs> <laughs> what brought you to Peru? Uh, my husband's actually originally from Peru, uh -huh. although we met elsewhere. Uh -huh. And he had a job opportunity here, so we decided to take it and come. Same old story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you do in Peru, Anna? So I work in marketing in a big multinational corporation, a soft drink brand you all know and love. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I'm also a food blogger. I write in a in a vegetarian food blog here. I am a bread baker and I'm also a yoga lover. Now, where does reading fit into all that? It fits everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Tell me more. I am absolutely obsessed with reading and I have been for my entire life. What, why, when, how? Tell us everything. So I actually learned to read before I even started school. I was always asking my mom about what's that letter, what's that letter, what's that letter? Uh -huh. And she started slowly teaching me. So there's a... There's a, a funny story, actually. I had a, I had a book when I was very little. Uh, it was Swedish folk tales, I think. And it had a story about a young boy who was very bored because his parents were at work and apparently he was too young to read. But in the story, he was much older than I was at the time. And I remember reading that story and saying, this is really stupid. I mean, he's like two <laughs> years older than me. <laughs> How come he doesn't read? And I mean, from there on, books have been my constant companion and my absolute obsession. I mean, I used to spend my entire allowance on books. My parents had to physically drag me away from bookstores when I was growing up. Um, and then it all changed magically when I bought my Kindle, which is the most amazing, magical device in my life. So how long have you had your Kindle and how has it changed your reading life? So I brought my first Kindle uh, when they came out. I think it was something like eight years ago, maybe. Uh -huh. And um, I've had, I think, three different ones since. Um, and it's changed my life in multiple levels. The first one is I no longer carry around a bag full of books. I used to have to carry this really, really heavy bag with like two or three books at the same time. So you're totally the reader who can't leave home with just one book. Exactly. Okay, and, I get that. And now I just have everything on the Kindle. The second thing, which is actually much more practical, is um, I, tr I always try to read books in the language they were published in when I, when I can. How many and different languages do you speak? So I speak, I speak Spanish, English, uh, enough French and a bit of Portuguese. Okay. Wow. That's quite a variety. The thing with the Kindle is English language books here in South America are quite rare, difficult to find mm -hmm. and really, really expensive. So I used to spend enormous amounts of money on Amazon having books shipped halfway across the world. Okay, so that your fellow readers can feel your pain, how much did shipping cost relative to the book itself? So if the, if the book cost $20, would it, would it cost just as much to ship it? Or would it, cost? Uh, it, it would cost about 50 to 60% of the cost of the book. Sometimes more depends on the weight. Okay, so you not only had to buy the books, but you had to pay half that much again 
to get them to you. Exactly. And then Ouch. I would have to wait oh. for like weeks and weeks at a time to get to get the books. I mean, sometimes it was four weeks, sometimes it was six weeks to get the books, which was really, really annoying. Oh, that sounds, oh, that sounds awful. It was awful, especially when you had like the latest Harry Potter book coming out and stuff. And you're uh -huh. like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> but I'm going to fill the internet with spoilers. <laughs> so it all changed when I got my Kindle because I mean, now I just buy the books directly from Amazon and first they're much cheaper and second it's just much more convenient. So uh, right now I basically am um, 100% Kindle reader. I, I don't think I've bought a paper book in about three or four years maybe. Wow. So when Amazon says in their advertising, like, click here and buy it now, and you can be reading this book on your Kindle in under a minute, I think, hey, that sounds pretty cool and convenient. And now I see why you use the word magic, though. Oh, it is. It is magical. It's amazing. And it's so immediate. And um, I mean, I, I travel a lot for work. So every time I travel, mm -hmm. I can just get the books whenever I want. It's not a problem if I'm going to, for example, just board the plane. I can just buy the book like literally seconds before getting on the plane. Mm -hmm. And then I never run out of stuff to read, which is amazing. <laughs> That's a, that sounds miraculous. <laughs> I am a Kindle fan. I am a Kindle lover. Since we're talking about this, I'm dying to know what's on your Kindle and what you like to read. Can we go there without talking about your favorites? Or is it time to talk uh, about your favorites? Oh, I don't know. You tell me. I think I have something like um, 300 and something books on my Kindle at the moment. <laughs> between what I've read and what's waiting to be read. How many do you have unread on your Kindle at any one time? Uh, well, it used to be a couple, but since I subscribed to, to your newsletter, my to-read list has actually exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so I get, your, I get your daily Kindle deals. Now, I'm dying to know how often those prices are the same in South America. Uh, pretty much every time. Oh, that's so good to hear. Because it varies been, internationally with Amazon prices. It varies by country. So I, I actually don't know. I think my Kindle account is actually set in the U.S. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I would have to confirm that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's only been one time when I clicked on your newsletter and I got a different price from what it said. That's great. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. But right now I have something like 16 titles. Okay, waiting so to you be. always have something to choose from. A lot of stuff. It's actually a bit of a problem. <laughs> Does it stress you out to have all those titles waiting for you that you know you want to read? Or does it make you feel gloriously rich? It makes me feel so abundant. I like it. It just, it looks, to me, it's like pure, sheer luxury to have all those books. And, you know, even if it's just two minutes, three minutes, five minutes waiting at a doctor's office just to take out a book. And it's, you know, it's, it's me time. It's time that can't be stolen from me even if I'm waiting for someone. So it just feels so such a privilege. So Anna, these favorites that you chose for us today, are they, are they Kindle reads? Are they recent reads? How did you choose your favorites? So two of them are Kindle reads, and the third is actually a book I bought on paper so many years ago. A paper and book, and it stuck with you all these years? It stuck with me. Not, not all this year. I think it was probably the last paper book I bought in a long, long time. Well, you know how this works. You tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And we talk about what you should read next. I'm dying to hear what this, this paper book is that stuck with you for all these years. So the first book I chose is 
actually a book that you've recommended here, I think on episode 17, and it's called Who Fears Death? I think the name of the author is pronounced Nnedi Okrafor. The thing about this book is I love fiction. I mean, I love everything from Harry Potter to Lord of the Rings. My very favorite book of all times is The NeverEnding Story. And to me, this book is the, is the first fiction book that I've ever read that is completely fiction, entirely adult, but has a complete different cultural background. That makes it very, very interesting. Oh, that makes me want to read it because this was Andy Combo Floyd's pick. This was one of her favorites on the show, but it wasn't one that I had ever read. So now with a double recommendation, I want to go download it on my Kindle. Oh, it's beautiful. It is beautiful, beautiful. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a post-nuclear future. It doesn't specifically say, but you can very quickly guess it's set in Africa. Uh-huh. And it's, um, it's a continent that's played by racial war. And uh, a young girl of mixed race is born. And when, she, when she's a teenager, she basically discovers she has some, magic, some magical capabilities. And she finds that her destiny is to rewrite the book of history and to stop genocide of her people. That's quite a premise. It is. So despite that summary, which sounds, you know, very fantastical and and nice, it is actually very adult, and it touches many hot-button issues. It, it, It can be quite harrowing, because it talks about, you know, segregation and abuse and religion and oppression, the the author is this Nigerian American woman, and she brings a complete different voice and a complete different cultural reference to to the book, and you can clearly see how it permeates, you know, on the names, on the use of mythology, on the plot itself, and it is just so beautiful. And the last thing I loved about this book is how she, because it's set in a faraway future, Mm -hmm. she mixes magic and technology in a way that actually is very enhancing instead of distracting from the main plot line. Uh So it's all, I mean, she is very clever in the way she brings in, you know, some technological advances here and there and some bits of magic here and there that just construct instead of making themselves the plot. Yes, that's so hard to get right. It is beautiful and beautifully balanced. And it's actually very, very painful at the same time. So it sounds like this was a departure for you, not not the kind of book that you usually pick up? It is not. I mean, it is actually a a genre. I mean, it's, it's fiction, yes, but it is fantasy, yes. But it is not the type of author I I would have chosen, and it's actually not even a type of fantasy that I even knew existed before reading this book. So it was a big departure, but it was probably the book I've read recent, recently that has made it 
farther in my list of all-time favorites. I mean, this is a book that will probably stay on my top five list for the rest of my life. That's amazing. Was that a big surprise to you, how much you loved it? It was. It was. I mean, I thought it was just going to be, you know, when, when I read the plot, I thought it was going to be like a funky Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> what even made you take a chance on that one? I can't remember, Anne. I don't know. I think I I heard the the episode and I'm not sure what I chose it. We'll go back and listen. We'll see what Andy said. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I can see why somebody would pick it up now. The way you describe it, it sounds amazing. And top five picks of a lifetime. I mean, that is serious high praise. Yes. And I've actually recommended this book to a couple of friends who work on, you know, international affairs. Um and they both loved it. Do you think because of the work they do, the topics in the book were especially interesting to them? They could really exactly. relate to them? Yeah. Exactly. So you can relate to the very human topics, but uh -huh. because of the way of the story is told in a, in a magical, fictional environment, then you know some of the harder parts to swallow actually become a bit more bearable. Okay. Okay. Oh, now I'm so curious. I'm going to go... <laughs> read it. I mean, I always, I always add books to my list with every episode. I mean, this won't be an exception, but still, I want to go, I don't know, maybe download it to my Kindle and talk to you in a couple of days when I'm done. Okay. I, I have more perspective on the rest of your picks. I would love to hear what you think of these. Okay. Ones. Well, I'd love to hear what the rest of your favorites are since that one was apparently not your normal read. What's book two? So book two is the paper book, actually. Uh -huh. And it's called... The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. Yes. It's by Juno Diaz. Uh-huh. It's, it's, not, it's not terribly old. It's not, I think it's something like 10 years old, maybe, 8 years old. I, th I know it won a Pulitzer Prize. And uh, it tells the story of Oscar, who's a, a kid living in Manhattan, uh, a nerd, basically, <laughs> a bit overweight. <laughs> he is, he's a real nerd, and he's a bit overweight. And he comes from a Dominican family, and he has this history. He believes his family has a curse called the Foucault, which is a very traditional Dominican curse. And he sets out to break the curse of his family. So the book moves between New York and the Dominican Republic, and it weaves in the actual political history of the Dominican Republic while telling the story of Oscar and his family. And the reason I loved this book is because I think it's a book that stands out because of the voice of the narrator, which is very, very powerful. So the book is told in a mixture of English and Spanish. It jumps between languages a bit. But you can always understand. I mean, you don't have to be bilingual to understand. Uh, it just squeezes in some Spanish words, but you can get them by the context. Mm -hmm. It is very funny. It is very fast-paced. But also, to me, as a Latin person, it felt very... And I don't know how to say this word in English. I don't know if I'm saying correctly, but it felt very idiosyncratic. Uh -huh. it, it sounds <laughs> very idiosyncratic. <laughs> so it is actually a book that represents very well the Latin culture. And it reminded me a bit of, you know, this current of magical realism started with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, in which, you know, these books 
you know, they talk about real subjects and real families, but mm -hmm. there are bits of magic happening and, you know, they feel so normal. Uh -huh. And that's, that's what being Latin really feels like. That's what, you know, being in the Caribbean usually feels like. So, so it felt very, very relevant. And also the way it brings the bits of history, it is amazing. It is beautifully written. That sounds really interesting. Is that, so I've only read Juno Diaz short stories. When that came out, it was his first novel. Is it yeah. the only? I think after that, he came with a compilation of short stories slash novel, which is called, I think, This Is How You Lose Her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that um, made a big splash a year or two ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is not entirely short stories, not entirely novel, but a, a mixture between both. And I think The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde is actually his first novel. Have you, do you enjoy the other works you've read by Diaz? Yes, very much. Okay, so that's a winner as an author. He is. He, to me, he's a great author. Also, he's very interesting. I follow him on Facebook, and he's actually he's got some very interesting political positions, and he's, he seems like a very interesting person overall, like a, the type of author you would lo love to meet. Oh, that's always good, because sometimes you read books and you think, I just hope this is a decent, interesting human being and, <laughs> exactly. and not someone I actually wouldn't want to have coffee with. So exactly. that's always good to hear. He made a big splash a couple of years ago when he, if I remember correctly, very vocally criticized <coughs> some Master of Fine Arts programs, uh, the way they're currently done in the United States, basically said that it's there's an appalling lack of diversity and that needs to change. So he kind of became a voice for bringing more high-quality works from different perspectives, different um, regions of the world into curriculum in general. And I'm thinking of that as I think about your picks. So we, wow. will, we will get there. Yeah, I didn't know that, but that's, that sounds very much like the type of writing he does. So it sounds like the type of work he would do. Okay, we'll put a link in show notes. And now I'm very curious what he's sharing on Facebook. But no. <laughs> I, I can look that up. Anna, what's your third book? So I, I really struggled to pick a third book. I was going back and forth between a couple of options. But I finally settled down for um, The Interestings by Meg Wulitzer. Uh -huh. I think is how you pronounce it. That sounds good to me. So how did it earn its place? Okay, so this book um, is a, it's quite a simple story, actually. It's... Um, it's contemporary story about six friends from summer camp and she follows their story into adulthood this to me was uh, a funny book because it's a book i loved and most of my bookish friends hated <laughs> that's always fun to hear how and why people disagree what about it made you love it and how was that different from your friends did the differing reactions surprise you it, it it did. I mean, um, to me, what I loved is basically the book explores uh, themes around, you know, friendship and loyalty, uh, but also envy or jealousy. And to me, the premise, a, a very hidden premise of the book is what makes a person interesting and why are we attracted to people we consider interesting? And, you know, it had some beautiful quotes there for me. I think my friends couldn't get past the pace. It's quite a slow-paced book. Not much happens. 
but I don't know, I connected with the characters so deeply. Uh, it's one of those books you can't really place into words why you loved it so much. Uh-huh. It just, it's, I felt a strong emotional pull towards the characters. Uh-huh. And yeah. it felt relevant. I mean, it felt relevant to, to this period, to this time in life, to my age. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Your friends, they didn't connect with the characters in the same way? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. They thought that all the characters were, you know, very shallow and basically stupid is what some of them said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, if I remember correctly, because I've thought about reading this over the years and I never have, I think that book has a solid three-ish star rating on Goodreads. But it's not because everybody gave it three stars. It's because people loved it or people hated it. Can you see that being the case for that book? How either yeah. it was for you or it totally wasn't? Yeah, it's, well, it's exactly my experience with my book. So it's one of those books that I love, but I am now terrified of recommending to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. It's so hard, though, because I love finding a book like that, a book that's not for everybody. But if it's for you, you feel like it was just for you. And that feels like such a gift to find. However, you have to read some duds to find those winners. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, when there's 16 books waiting in your Kindle that you could be reading instead, that's kind of hard. Okay. Anna, what do you hate? Okay. So people have said this over and over. It's not so difficult to find some books you hate, but I actually have one book I loathe. <laughs> what do you loathe? I loathe The Alchemist by Pablo Coelho. Ooh, so you loathe the book that so many people cite as the book that changed their life. Exactly. I love it. Tell us more. <laughs> so, I mean, I am, I, I am not opposed to woo-woo in my life. I, I love yoga and I love all things, you know, magical and stuff. But to me, The Alchemist felt like a poor exercise overall so i hate when poor writing disguises itself as big literature and that's exactly what i felt with this book i mean i thought it was lazy writing trying to make a point that was very obvious from the beginning uh, i don't know um, i think the characters were not well developed the story was just basically a children's fairy tale and he tried hard to make it a bit more interesting and a bit more complex, but I don't know. It just, to me, it felt like a very obvious attempt to sell a lot of books. <laughs> How long ago did you read it? Oh, many, many, many years ago. I, I think I read it the first time when I was something like 16. Did you hate it right from the beginning? I hate it right from the beginning. And I gave it another chance a couple of years ago thinking, you know, maybe I was immature. I was too uh-huh. young. I didn't get the full experience. Uh-huh. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is so much worse than I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> so your 16-year-old self had pretty good judgment? Yeah, she did, yeah. Okay, Lucky. excellent. <laughs> that's right. I, uh, I was surprised when you said you read it twice. But, yeah, that's some things never change. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you, are you done? My... Or can you see yourself reading it again? No, 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 no. I am absolutely done with him and all of his work. <laughs> you tried. I and tried. Now you know. You know what you're not missing. Exactly. Okay. Anna, what are you reading now? 
So I've just finished a book called The Girl with All the Gifts. Yes. Oh, by yes. M. Carey. That sounds up and your alley. It it was, eh? It was. It was haunting, and it was beautiful, and it just finished at the right, exactly the precise scene. So I love that one. Uh-huh. I have obviously just finished Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, of course. Mm-hmm. And what did you popular. think? I loved it. Eh? I haven't read it yet. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I knew what I was getting into. I knew it was a play. I wasn't expecting a book. It has a couple of very cheesy scenes. So beware. <laughs> Thank you for the warning. Beware. But other than that, I mean... Uh, those are characters you know and love. Uh-huh. It, it would be very difficult to be let down by them. Uh-huh. Well, and I do appreciate knowing that. I can be very forgiving about some things, especially cheesiness, if I know it's coming. Okay. <laughs> and then I'm also reading a novel called Rich and Pretty uh-huh. oh. by Ruman Alam. That's interesting. Because when you said, it's interesting that you mentioned the interestings, and I thought, maybe Rich and Pretty. Okay, so what do you think? I I am liking it. Mm-hmm. I think it is, a, a, I mean, the pacing is a bit off for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling a bit with some, some parts of the pace. But um, the characters, I mean, they're very well developed. And I love reading a book about, you know, female friendship mm-hmm. and how it evolves through the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm actually not sure. I think it was written by a guy. Is it a guy or a girl? The author, right? You're know. right. It's a guy. Oh, what? So he has a very, very fine understanding of the subtleties of friendship and female friendship, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, that seems like a bold move to try to write a big novel about an evolving friendship over ages. Yeah. An evolving female friendship. I mean, a lot of women are that idea probably strikes fear into the hearts of. (laughs) And it actually doesn't fall into platitudes. I mean, it is not about, oh yeah, I'm jealous or, you know, the obvious way literature and um, media in general portrays female friendship. It's Mm -hmm. actually very nuanced. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Yeah. How far into it are you? I'm about to finish. eh? I'm 80% there. 80% and you're liking it. So, to most people, those aren't particularly... Okay, now you just said that the people in your your friends thought the interesting characters were not likable. But in Rich and Pretty, those aren't particularly likable characters either. They're not. But are you feeling you're not connecting to them like you did to the characters in the interestings? Because you just don't sound as excited. I mean, it sounds like you're liking it, but you're not like enthused about it. Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, the characters seem a bit far off. I don't know if it's culturally or what, but... They seem a bit distant. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and, and they seem uh, very oblivious to their own motivations, if you want. Mm-hmm. That can be frustrating as a reader. <laughs> like, <laughs> when it's so clear to you what's going on in the characters' lives and they can't see it themselves. Yeah, correct. Okay. Anna, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Okay, so this is where it poses a challenge. Uh-huh. I am... Um, of course, not a native English speaker. And I love the idea of reading more of the big classics in my life, 
but I always get to a point where I'm stumped because, you know, I like to read in the language the books were originally published in, mm -hmm. which is usually English. I mean, in the case of Jane Austen and mm -hmm. the Bronte sisters and stuff. But I am terrified of the language barrier, especially when you go back to, you know, older pu publications and stuff. So when I come to those books, I always struggle saying, should I read them in English? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, maybe struggle with language or should I try and read them in Spanish and face a possibly terrible translation or if not a terrible translation, even a subtle lost in meaning. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say the big classics, what are the titles you have in mind? So I would love to to read Jane Austen. Uh -huh. I read. I, I remember reading Rebecca, and it's been on the on the show a few times. Rebecca. Mm -hmm. I remember reading Rebecca when I was young. I was probably fourteen, and I loved it. But I love the you know the Victorian setting and stuff. I'd love to read you know Wuthering Heights, perhaps, mm -hmm. or I don't know, maybe some Oscar Wilde or something like that. Mm -hmm. But again, the language is scary if you like oh i hear you i just read it for the first time a couple of years ago and it's not an easy read and i'm a reader in english so <laughs> have you had any bad experiences that have really made you shy about venturing into the classics yes i actually i wanted to i've wanted to read anna karenina for a long time and uh, i don't know what's happened but i can't read it in spanish and i can't read it in english <laughs> so i just Think maybe it's and you can't read it in Russian. <laughs> and I don't know any Russian, so there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hear you. And that's a big commitment, too. So if it is, if it is a struggle, Anna Karenina would be an exceptionally long, drawn-out struggle. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay, and well. uh, I've, I've, I've become a wuss, as I say. <laughs> I mean, I am not brave enough to tackle those books in one sitting as I used to when I was younger. <laughs> Uh, oh, wow. No, no, I can. Mm -hmm. I hear you on that. Maybe we can find you a shorter classic. Ah, uh, That would be nice. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. And I have ideas for you. As always, I have a lot of questions, but this will be fun. We'll find you some good books to read right after the break. Anna, welcome back. Okay. This is going to be fun. Are you ready? I am. I can't wait to hear what you've picked. Anna, I have ideas for you. I would love to get my hands on your Kindle to see what you've read and what is waiting for you, because it just seems like you are reading a really interesting mix of books. So we're going to put some more titles into rotation for you, and I'm being very cognizant of stuff that you can get on the Kindle, and I really want to talk a little more about those classics, because it's hard enough to talk people into trying the classics, and since you want to read them, I am just really want to see if we can figure out a way that would make that easier for you. And I'm sure there are listeners who have struggled through the same experience for various reasons, whether it's a question of translation or reading level or even motivation to try something daunting. And I would just love to hear if they have ideas that we can share with you later. So we're going to start more with a safe pick from me. And this is so funny. When you said you loved Who Fears Death and that you loved Oscar Wow, I thought N.K. Jemison. Juno Diaz has been very vocal in saying what he thinks 
up-and-coming authors should be studying, and N.K. Jemison is one of the authors that he consistently recommends for bringing fresh perspective, like she writes, fantasy, especially speculative fiction. She does it really well. She's a great world builder, and he said high praise about her. But then you mentioned that you heard Who Fears Death on Andy's episode, and I looked that up during the break, and I recommended an N.K. Jemison title to her as well for different reasons. So she liked the same book, but it was really Gino Diaz that got me thinking about it. But we're not going to go with the same title, but we're going to go with N.K. Jemison. So this feels like a solid pick for you because she writes fantasy really well world building and she pulls in crazy elements in a way that makes you go oh sure like of course that's part of the story and plus this book is the first in a series so if you love it you're set for a few books how does that how does that sound so far am i on the right track oh that sounds so exciting and i love the idea that there's potential for a series there i love that okay you're a series reader i am, that sounded like yes. serious and we already knew that <laughs> okay so here's what we've got we've got a girl living out in the barbarian region of it's Africa, but it's not really Africa. So her mother dies under mysterious circumstances and she is summoned as in a twisty kind of hunger games. Actually, you know, it is kind of like the hunger games. So Katniss is in the backwoods. That's where our heroine Yena is hanging out. So when her mother dies, she is summoned to the city of sky pictured like Oz by the King, who's her grandfather. And he names her as his heir, which shocks her and everybody else but then it turns out she's he's already assigned more than one heir including his niece and his nephew so basically he set up this really vicious power struggle between the three of them to make things worse as the wheels get going on this struggle for who will actually be the successor to the throne she starts to realize that her role in this succession plan might actually be that she may actually be called to sacrifice something great and that she was never actually in the running, so to speak. So just like you were saying about who fears death, we have a whole lot of themes going on that are handled in a very engaging way, not a super heavy handed, like the author wants to talk about the big theme of capital R racism. Like it doesn't feel like that at all. Or capital R religion. It feels like they're weaving very interesting, relatable, relevant themes into this really fantastical tale. So we have politics and racism and gods. There's a very interesting mythology here and familial craziness and power struggles and assassination. And this is all against the backdrop of a very literal ticking time bomb. So it grabs you right from the start and it takes you on a very interesting ride. It sounds a lot like a book you already love. What do you think? It sounds wonderful, Anne. Sorry, I didn't ca I didn't catch the name of the book. That's because I didn't tell you. And I did this, oh. I did this in a recent episode too. I just got carried away talking about the sweetness of forgetting and I never told Tiffany what it was called. <laughs> this is called The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. And it came out in the past maybe five, six, seven years. It's not brand new, so it will certainly be available to you. It will be available for Kindle, but it's not it's not old either. Okay, right. Okay. How does that sound? Will that be, in fact, easy to get? I mean, it, it is available in the Kindle store. Yes, I'm, I'm actually just checking right now, and it's available in the Kindle <laughs> store. So I will download it as soon as we finish talking here. For book two, what I'm noticing is that you have very interesting settings in your books. They are bittersweet. They're a little strange. They're character-driven. I really don't want to give you like a great American novel. That just doesn't feel like you at all. 
or at least not based on your favorites. Does that sound right to you? I don't know, but sounds like something I would be willing to try a great American oh, novel. Don't say that because I was just <laughs> I was just narrowing <laughs> it down. <laughs> okay, we with our next pick. If you haven't read it, this is actually seeming likely right now. We are going to go to Haiti. I'm thinking Edwidge Donticott. Have you read anything by her? No, I haven't. Okay. Are you familiar with her? No, not at all. So I'm thinking Claire of the Sea Light. But now I'm paranoid. Claire of the Sea Light is the title of this book. It is by Edwidge Donticott. And this is a fairly recent release. This came out in 2013. So this is a slim novel. It's about a child in Haiti, a seven-year-old. It is very lyrical writing, like very poetic and pretty. Um, that doesn't get in the way of the story, though. And what I really like about this book for you is its setting. It's set in this seaside town. It has a beautiful name. It's like something like Vila Rose. It's a town where... It's a town that's seen its fair share of tragedy, but it's also kind of a magical place. So the author was born in Port-au-Prince, but she left Haiti as a child. I think she lives in Miami now. But this book, she's written a lot of short stories, and this book almost feels like it could be a collection. So Claire is this seven-year-old girl who's at the heart of our story, and then through her, she disappears very early in the pages. And we have to figure out what happened and why and who was involved and what were their motives. Just what exactly is going on here in this magical kind of town. So you kind of feel like anything could happen. So through Claire, this seven-year-old who brings everyone, all these people together, we get a glimpse into the lives of all the people that are connected to her. This is not a feel-good kind of book, but you seem to be okay with that. So this is a book about difficult choices and family struggles in a place that has its charms, but is also very hard to live. How does that sound? It sounds very interesting, and I love, love, love the setting. Now, for book three, if it's okay with you, I want to tackle a classic. Yes, please. I can imagine what you're saying about how classics are so hard to read. And I can only relate to this as a, as a university student who took language. And even though I had a minor in a foreign language, when people ask me today, oh, have you ever read whatever book? I feel like I need to answer kind of because I only read it in, I only read it in a language that was my second language and not one that I could have a podcast conversation with anybody on and be reasonably coherent. So I appreciate the struggle here. And I think you did a good job summing up how it's not just a problem of language. It's a problem of distance and time. Like it's, it's hard enough to understand what's happening in Wuthering Heights or Shakespeare without, you know, if you do actually speak the same words on the page, even though they mean different things. So Anna, if you want to read Austin, I'm thinking we should go with her first novel, not the juvenilia, not Love and Friendship, and not Lady Susan, because she was still learning, but with Northanger Abbey. With Northanger Abbey, she is definitely still learning, but she is actually a mature writer. She's not just a kid, like, playing at it. So Austin is known for this very, like, ironic style, comedy and manners, making fun of people, and you have to be in on the joke for the novel to kind of make sense. 
Like, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Like, you have to know that she doesn't really mean it. And that's not necessarily obvious. You just have to be in tune with her. That was her later work. But if we go back to Northanger Abbey, her first, like, mature novel, you know, the ones that count if you buy the box set, she's still a solid writer. She's telling a shorter story. It's about a 17-year-old girl on holiday in a festive city. She's the guest of wealthy neighbors. She's, it's about readers and writing. Catherine Moreland is obsessed with like gothic horror stories and she starts to see the same kind of themes at work and the people around her and that's totally not what's happening. But I think reading a less nuanced Austin would be much easier for a non-native speaker. She's more, she's more direct. She's more blunt. She's much less subtle and nuanced and I think if you're going to appreciate an Austin novel, this would be the one to do it. How does that sound to you? It didn't. It actually sounds very, very um, interesting. And actually, it sounds encouraging. I mean, it sounds like something not scary, something I can actually tackle. Okay. And it's short. So if it's painful, <laughs> it will be short-lived. <laughs> It'll, It'll go away quickly. Uh -huh. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Well, how did those sound to you? They sound really exciting. Anna, what do you think you'll read next? I think I'm going to start with Jane Austen, actually, because you made it sound like something I can and should do. That sounds great. I, I'm an Austen fan. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Yeah, well, books have that effect uh, that to you know, be heartwarming, even when everything seems very dire. Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a great experience. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please head to the podcast site to let me know there what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Anna should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 45, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. And don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at what should I read next so we can see what you are reading. Also, don't forget to check out the new Modern Mrs. Darcy book club at members.modernmrsdarcy.com. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.